0: Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers, and a Happy New Year. It is dangerous to begin a sermon this way. Years ago, a priest colleague got into the pulpit and began his sermon by shouting, You brood of vipers! couple in the second row got up and stormed out never to return to that church again they were so offended being called a bunch of snakes I mean we've all been around church people long enough right there's a few snakes out there maybe not there but we've known a few I imagine Anyhow, the reaction to my colleague put him in good company. John the baptizer no doubt got a similar response from some of the religious people he was preaching to. John's folks, his audience, was sure that they were part of God's people because they were related to Abraham. We're in the family because we're children of Abraham. i found that Episcopalians often feel similarly to these folks. Of course we're part of God's people, don't you know we've been members of this parish for 800 years? That's a joke. Of course we're part of God's people, we have coffee hour every Sunday. Of course we're God's people, our liturgy is better than that church up the hill. John tells the crowds that being related to the right people is not good enough. Oh, you're part of God's people because you're related to the right person? Snakes. You've been a member of this church for 45 years? Bunch of snakes. Your religious ceremonies are better than somebody else's? Once again, a bunch of snakes. What's interesting is that the sermon doesn't end there. I had another colleague threaten to say, you brood of vipers, and then sit down and end the sermon there on this Sunday, but I thought that that was a mistake for lots of reasons. (laughs) Thank you. Chief among them, that John doesn't stop there. John keeps preaching to them. I think because he must trust that God has the power to change the lives of even a bunch of religious hypocrites, a bunch of snakes, a bunch of liars, a bunch of people who don't get it. He trusts that God has something to say even to them that might result in there being something other than a bunch of snakes. I think he thinks that God has the power to change lives. What should we do, the crowds ask him. Bear fruit worthy of repentance, John says. In other words, they should change. And not only that they should change, but they have the power to change. It is possible for them. The one who is coming after John to judge death and evil and sin makes it possible for people to actually bear fruit of repentance, for people's lives to be shaped and transformed by God. That is profoundly hopeful news, especially if any of us, and I'm not saying that anyone at Trinity Church would ever fit this description, have ever been a little hypocritical. Or have ever said, oh, well, of course we're Christians. We've been at Trinity Church for X number of years. I know we wouldn't do that. But John not only says that they can change, he says the changes are tangible. You can see them. What does the fruit look like? Well, the crowds ask him, and John says, share your food with those who don't have any. If you have two coats, give one to somebody else who doesn't have one. It says the tax collectors come to John, that's wrong. The word is toll, the word is toll booth. It is the toll collectors come to John. And at that time, those were private enterprises, so here's a little economy of the ancient world, ready? It wasn't operated by the government, Someone would come along and say, I will pay the government of Rome X dollars. And then they would pay them. And then they would operate their toll booth to make back the money that they had already paid. So if Dr. Baxter comes to my toll booth looking really dressed up and like, maybe he might, you know, there might be more money in that pocket than in somebody else's pocket. Or, or there might be money in Manny's pocket because he dresses so well. Well, the toll for you is $100,000. Because we're trying to make back our investment. This is just business, right? That's how it would go. And so they say, what should we do? And John doesn't say, sell your toll booth. He doesn't say, give up on the money that you put into it. He says, charge the same amount for everybody. Even if they look wealthy when they come through. Don't gouge people. The soldiers come. These are probably Jewish soldiers of Herod. There weren't Roman legions at the time in Judea. And they say, What should we do? And he doesn't tell them to stop being soldiers. He says, Don't use poor people as ATM machines. Don't turn them upside down and shake them until their lunch money falls out. Be satisfied with what you get paid. Now, if you're looking for something that's sort of specifically religious about any of that, you're going to look a while before you find anything. John does not say go to temple and make sacrifices. He does not say go to Mass. He does not say read your Bibles more. He does not say pray more. As good as any of those things might be. He says, treat people differently, honestly. It turns out that the God we know in Jesus Christ cares if people don't have food. It turns out the God we know in Jesus Christ cares if people don't have a coat. What's religious about that? Well. Jesus came to make a new world where nobody had to go without a coat, where nobody has to go without food. Turns out the God we know in Jesus Christ cares about people that get gouged by shady toll booth operators. The God we know in Jesus Christ cares when you get scammed out of money, The God we know in Jesus Christ cares if you get mistreated by legal authorities. And the God we know in Jesus Christ cares about people who are victims of soldiers. People who have to contend with war zones. With all of the corruption that invading armies can wreak upon an area. John tells these relatives of Abraham that they'll truly be children of Abraham when they cease being self-focused on how good they are because they're related to the right guy. And when they start doing tangible things to take care of people without coats. They'll be followers of God when they stand against corruption in toll collections and any other corrupt legal system. They'll be followers of God when they comfort people who come from war-torn areas, when they welcome those who have been harmed and robbed and, worse, by soldiers. For John, God's people do tangible acts of service. For poor people without coats and food, for those gouged by cash advance stores and subprime mortgages, and God's people express welcome and caring for refugees and immigrants who are fleeing the violence of soldiers, whether those soldiers belong to a country or a drug lord. Now, I once preached a sermon like this at a previous parish, and I got one of those dreaded Monday morning emails. I don't get too many of them here. Let's keep it that way. That's pretty nice. And the email said, we really liked your sermon, Father. And I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. But we wish you would contain yourself to preaching the gospel and leave the politics out of it. You know, dear friends, it's not me. It's John the Baptizer. This is his fault. Leaving the politics out of it is just what John won't let people do. The gospel is about how we treat people as individuals and as societies. We serve the poor because John and Jesus tell us to give food and coats to people who have none. We serve as lawyers and judges and police officers and I don't think there are toll collectors in here, but if there were, toll collectors, because we care for people who have been taken advantage of. We welcome refugees and immigrants feeling violence because we take care of people who've been victims of soldiers. Now, we don't just turn these things into Facebook memes and social media posts. We don't wear T-shirts, necessarily, advertising our views. We take tangible action. And we can. And we can because there is another world coming that we look forward to in Advent. A a world that is brought by the one coming after John. A world where we can live a radically different life than what our society offers. I was with someone in a large group this week who said, That they just weren't sure what life was all about. And because of the context, I couldn't say what I wanted to say. Which was, freely chosen, self-sacrificial love will change the world. And it has already. Because that love was expressed for us. In Jesus. It is a love which we can offer to other people because God offered it to us even though we had failed at a million self-improvement schemes, at a million ways of trying to change ourselves. In spite of all that, Christ died for us. This is a love which is possible for us to offer the world because no matter how awful we are or have been, Jesus loves us, wants to know us, wants to renew us, and yes, wants to change us so that our lives more faithfully bear witness to his work in tangible ways. We may be vipers this morning. We may be church hypocrites. I'm probably the greatest among them. We may hear about fruits of repentance and changing our lives and think, oh, I have no energy for this. I'm exhausted. But the promise of God, dear friends, is that this does not depend on us. The promise of God is not that Jesus would give us more energy or make us morally superior or outstanding promise is that Jesus loved a bunch of snakes and hypocrites and liars, victimizers, so much that he sent John the Baptist as his messenger to announce that even these people, even shady toll collectors and used car dealers and sleazy bankers... Even soldiers and street fighters and gang members are so precious to God that he could not imagine being God of a universe where they ceased to exist. And that, dear, lovely, wonderful brood of vipers, is the glorious good news of Advent.